Hello and welcome to episode 95 of the Implant Games Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Genthy, and I have a great show lined up for you today. So let's go ahead and get started with the news. So this was the day after last week's podcast. So on Thursday, Nintendo announced the NES Classic. Uh, This kind of came out of nowhere, and to be honest, it kind of seemed like it wasn't real. Uh, I want to say it came out on Nintendo of Europe's Twitter feed or channels first, and then slowly made its way through the rest of Nintendo, which then kind of confirmed that it was in fact real. Um, As far as I know, as far as I can remember, this is going to be Nintendo's first clone system. So this is an NES. uh, From what I can tell, based on the shots or the screenshots or the, the press photos that that they've released it looks like it's somewhere between the size of a of a ps1 and uh the one the little tiny playstation and the genesis 3 so in my eyes it kind of looked like three the size of three nes cartridges stacked on top of each other which of course uh, means that it doesn't have a cartridge slot which is uh pretty annoying uh, but let's just run down the features here and i'm going to kind of point out my favorite uh, the first being hdmi output which uh what i've been saying for the last few weeks in my opinion uh this year starting now uh is a critical feature uh to have in your clone system um not many people have crts lying around anymore and if you do have a crt lying around these days it's because you have a reason you have an original nes that you're trying to hook up or have hooked up things like that laserdisc maybe um but yeah hdmi critical feature it's coming out november 11th so just in time for the holiday season uh i can't remember if that's worldwide or not it just might be uh it is classic with the wii classic controllers i have a couple of those um if memory serves me right the the controller length on the wii classic controllers is not very long maybe three or four feet so that could be an issue but it does appear that it will come with an nes controller um that would work like uh you know that has the same plug as a as a wiimote um and then it looks like you can buy a controller separately as well. It has two controller ports. Um, as you can see behind me, I did bring out my NES box. It came with two controllers. Uh, but what I really thought was awesome about this, which I'm sure you know many people that will buy this didn't realize, is the styling on the packaging of the NES Classic is pretty much just like the original NES, which is pretty awesome. That caught my eye right away. I like attention to detail like that. Pretty darn sweet. So yeah, retro style packaging. Um, it does not appear to be expandable, no cartridge slot. They haven't announced an SD card or online activity to download games or any th- connectivity or anything like that. Um, and it's going to be about $70. Now, what's really, really awesome about this clone system is Nintendo actually has some third-party games on here. So I mentioned last week the Atari Flashback Portable showed Taito's Space Invaders and Konami's Frogger, but I highly doubt those will be on the Flashback portable this is going to have third-party games from tecmo konami and capcom possibly others uh those were the big three that caught my eye tecmo of course with ninja gaiden uh konami of course with castlevania and then capcom um with Mega Man 2 some of my favorite games on the nes that i own in physical uh format will be on this device so that's that's really really awesome um, there's other ones as well that's not a complete list but 30 games including third party that's 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 pretty huge. Um, I think it's going to be a huge hit for this Christmas. I don't see any legs beyond that, non-expandable, um, you know, a, a limited market. People, you know, I'm sure will ref- 
what am I trying to say? People will remember opening their NES as a child back in the late 80s, possibly early 90s. Uh, people at work have brought this up to me, you know, what do you think about this? And uh, people seem generally really excited about it. So it seems like Nintendo is going to have a, a pretty solid Christmas. So kudos to them. Um, while it sucks that, you know, there's no upgrade path or at least nothing announced. It would be cool then maybe if next year we got like a SNES classic, um, same thing, you know, HDMI out, third party supports the Mega Man X and Castlevania 4 and uh, other games like that. And, you know, maybe the year after that, the N64 classic, you know, maybe giving, giving us some of those games that are getting a little pricey on the N64. Who knows? Maybe even rare games on there. Uh, rare the company. Uh, you know, that could potentially be really cool. So um, I hope this is a success just because I think if it is that Nintendo is perhaps going to kind of release more devices like this. Uh, I suspect it'll be emulation. So for purists, you know, it might not be the most authentic experience, but I've played NES games on the virtual console and I find that to be pretty you know, it's a pretty good experience. So that's really cool. That was everywhere again. That was on my local news, which is just mind boggling for Nintendo to have first Pokemon Go. And then one week later, have another headline stealing, um, you know, event coming on. So that, that's, that's really, really good for them. And of course, the NX, I believe, comes out next March or next spring. So we'll see if they're able to kind of hang on to that momentum, hang on to that nostalgia. Uh, and, and launch a console successfully. We shall see. Um, the next piece of news, um, and this is less news than it is something I found incredibly fascinating. So Ben Heck has kind of been a staple of the modding community online since there was online. He was making Atari 2600 portables. I want to say like in 2000, 2001, he was tearing apart uh, old Ataris and making them portable using, I don't know, camcorder monitors or something like that. It was really rudimentary, but really, really cool and something that people weren't really doing at the time and really launched an entire community of like hardware hackers and tinkers and things like that. Something that we kind of got away from as a society, um, you know, taking apart TVs and radios kind of brought that back, which was really awesome. Um, the way he would do these online would obviously not be videos, they would be pictures. So there were digital pictures and he, I think he must have some design experience because there would be like themes like Indiana Jones and things like that. Um, just really entertaining reads. So not only were they informative, he had a lot of color in there, so to speak. So they were kind of fun to watch. Um, so I, I'm a big fan of Ben Heck as well, because he's from Wisconsin, which is pretty sweet. He also made some movies back in the day. The most um, watchable would be Port Washington, which was a romantic comedy. Um, again, not the best movie in the world, but just kind of shows his versatility and all these different things that he does. After that, he got a show on Revision 3, uh, The Ben Heck Show, which has since moved to YouTube. And uh, I am subscribed to that channel, but I kind of only watch maybe a third of the episodes when it comes to video games. That's when I'll kind of watch and, and see what these are all about. So I think he made like a... I'm pulling, see, I always pull this off the top of my head. My mind starts racing and then I can't remember. I'm just 
going off the cuff here. That's how I make mistakes. But I believe he made a system that used one Zilog 80 or Z80 processor, and it had a master system mode and an Intellivision mode. So you could flip a switch and play Intellivision games, flip a switch and play master system games. If that's not 100% accurate, I apologize. But that's the kind of stuff that he does. He hand-wired a um, ZX Spectrum from scratch. Again, stuff like that I just find really fascinating. Um, my modding abilities uh, are, are pretty limited i have a soldering a soldering i don't know iron i guess would be the word and uh i've made a few repairs to my master systems av port added a few composite jacks and as video jacks to a couple systems and region modded my neo geo cd uh to play in english but that's kind of the extent of it i haven't you know i, I can't do it he does that's for sure but uh what was really awesome is that he took apart uh, this is going to be a two-part video for him but the first part came out where he tore down the nintendo playstation so this was all over the internet i believe at the beginning of the year maybe the end of the year uh, where there was basically a prototype uh, sony playstation or nintendo playstation um, that had a super nintendo uh, controller port on the top um, it had a cd drive in it had super nintendo controllers and uh, it looked I always felt that it looked too good to be true, and I kept waiting for it to be revealed as a fake. Uh, but as it turns out, uh, I don't know if it's a wealthy family or how that com came to be, but this has been toured all over the country. Uh, it's been to Engadget. It's been to um, the Midwest Gaming Classic here in Wisconsin. Uh, it was on display. I had a buddy send me a couple of pictures. I almost went to the Midwest Gaming Classic this year just to see that thing because it is that cool. But anyway... So he brought this to Milwaukee or Madison or wherever Ben Heck is, and Ben Heck took it apart, and he talked about it all along the way. Um, so, a little bit of history on the Nintendo PlayStation. If you're listening to this podcast, you probably know all of the history. This is a pretty, you know, this has just been part of our culture since forever, thanks to oh, video game magazines. Um, but there was going to be a CD add-on for the Super Nintendo, similar to the Sega CD or the TurboGrafx CD. And uh, Sony was working on it. Um, it I gosh, I don't think it was E3. I think it was like a CES or something like that. It was announced. Um, Sony, I want to say, got cold feet because they realized they made a mistake with the CD royalties so or the licensing fees. So if a company made a game on a CD, Sony would have received all the licensing fees. Um, and then the cartridge games would have been for Nintendo. Nintendo obviously realized... It, there's going to be a lot more games released on CDs than cartridges because they're a lot cheaper to produce. And then uh, kind of just abandoned Sony, teamed up with Philips, uh, which brought us the CDI to some extent. I, I'm sure the CDI would have came out without Philips. But then, you know, we got the Zelda games and Hotel Mario on the CDI. And then a few years later, Sony couldn't team up with Sega. Um, or I want to say they were working with the 3DO company as well, and then they just went it on their own, made the Sony PlayStation, and the rest is history. Um, but what this device is, is not an add-on for the Super Nintendo, it's actually an all-in-one. So like a CDX or a Wonder, Wonder Mega or a Turbo Duo, something along those lines where it's all one device. And uh, so to see it taken apart and to see someone like Ben Hack who has torn apart virtually every game system known to man multiple times uh his to me 
his opinion and his expertise carries a lot more weight uh, than somebody who's just casually observing it. You know, there's, there's just a lot more expertise here. Um, so what he came away with in this first part is basically uh, this, the machines, the molding and all of that uh, to create the boards, to create the plastic and all of that was clearly done. So there could be a warehouse somewhere, you know, with uh, with molds for this all in one uh, Nintendo PlayStation device. Um, the same with like all the circuitry, all the boards and all of that it appears that it was all done and ready to go. Um what I kind of found interesting about the way it actually works um, is it seems that the CD-ROM drive would have required a special cartridge, and on that cartridge uh, would have been some extra RAM. So basically, the data would have been loaded off the CD onto the cartridge, and then the Super Nintendo would have read that RAM like it would a normal cartridge. And then I would hope that uh, you know there would be CD audio as well. Um, but very much different, uh, very different than something like the Sega CD, uh, which has an extra Motorola 68K processor running, uh, I think, 12.5 megahertz, much, much faster. All right, so someone was with a leaf blower out there. Hopefully they are done. Um, but anyway, so something like the, the Sega CD or Mega CD for... For those of you in different parts of the world, um, kind of functioned like an add-on, not only the ability to have data stored on a CD and CD quality music, uh, but also had more horsepower. Um, unfortunately, the Sega CD couldn't put out more color, uh, but it could do more advanced graphics and it could do some of those Mode 7 style effects and even a little bit of 3D. Um, but this wouldn't have been like that. This would have been more like the Turbo uh, Graphics CD, where basically it's just games being able to be stored on a different medium. So I thought that was neat. And then that also kind of reminded me of the Neo Geo CD. Uh, the Neo Geo CD has uh, an insane amount of RAM, more, much more RAM than the N64, the PlayStation, or the Saturn, uh, for that matter. Um, and that's basically what it would do. It would rip an insane amount of data and put it on this huge fat piece of RAM and then basically function like a normal Neo Geo. So if you own a Neo Geo, you know a lot of half your games probably have one load time at the beginning and then there's never another load for as long as the game plays. And then there's other games like Metal Slug or especially the fighting games where um, you know, those long, you know, 20 meg or whatever it is, loads take a few minutes because it's just not constantly reading data off the CD. It's taking it off in big chunks. So I thought that was really neat that this add-on was actually surprisingly simple. Basically, it's ripping data, putting it on RAM in the cartridge, and then the Super Nintendo reads it like normal. Um, other than maybe some additional RAM, there are no other additional hardware specs here. So fairly basic, but I am still... I was, I've always been pretty skeptical of this thing. I kept waiting for somebody to discover some like Japanese device that looked exactly like this. And then somebody had like painted it white and said, Oh, here's a prototype, but it's actually, you know, some, you know, like a Panasonic GameCube thing, you know, where it, it just wasn't what we thought it was. But based on what Ben says, um, you know, I, I'm now inclined to believe, okay, it was real. It was pretty much done. Uh, there was only a few wires going here and there. Uh, and so it was just a few, you know, solder lines or, or traces away from being a complete device uh, before that marriage fell apart. So very, very interesting. Um, if you're not already subscribed to Ben Heck or if you just aren't aware of who he is, you should definitely check out his channel, uh, youtube.com slash, or I guess just go on YouTube and search for the Ben Heck show. But 
Uh, very, very interesting show if you're into video games. Unfortunately, there's just a lot of non-gaming content content on there as well but like he built a giant game boy and stuff like that i just absolutely love i wish i had that kind of skill or i wish i had that knowledge um so yeah he broke down the nintendo playstation and it's pretty freaking cool oh the next it's just all nintendo today guys the next one is uh jason Lindsay found a working nintendo 64 disc drive american ntsc unit uh, off Craigslist. Jason Lindsay, of course, is Metal Jesus Rocks. Um, and he did a whole video kind of discussing it. So uh, my knowledge of the Nintendo 64 disk drive pre-YouTube is basically from like magazines in 1999. Uh, so 1999 would have been about the time I got my first job. So that's when I would have started buying game uh, gaming magazines like Electronic Gaming Monthly, uh, Next Generation Magazine, and... Uh, yeah, so they covered this a lot, and it just sort of never came out in America, and it was eventually released in Japan uh, with a very limited amount of software, and uh, I feel like they just sort of half-assed it. Um, they just, you know, by the time they got around to finishing it, the GameCube was on the way, and just didn't make any sense. So um, this, as far as the world knows, is the only um, American-English uh, 64 disk drive that's ever been released. Um, things that were neat about it, it has a lot of English in the menus, a lot of English um, and alternate dates on the packaging that are different, and uh, it's region-coded, so it won't play Japanese disk drive games. Um, the actual media itself um, is a magnetic disk, I believe similar to like a zip drive. For those of you that remember zip drives, uh, it was a cheap way to have uh, hundreds of megabytes of storage uh, before hard drives got super, super cheap. Um, but the idea, of, I think, for Nintendo was is that... Uh, God, I don't even have an, any idea. They're writable, so you could, you know, make... Saving would be, you know, a non-issue, so inventory items like that wouldn't need a memory card. Um, something like SimCity might be incredibly interesting. Maybe there was a SimCity. Uh, I don't know offhand, but uh, a more PC-like experience or, or letting the Nintendo 64 deliver games in a different way. Um, I wonder what the maximum capacity of those little uh, disk drive discs are. It must be more than than a cartridge as well. The Nintendo shouldn't have put the shouldn't have used cartridges for the N64. They should have used CDs. They would have had a lot more third-party support. Or just let other companies make their own cartridges, like Sega would allow Electronic Arts to do on the Sega Genesis. Um, stuff like that's important, and they really drop the ball there. Uh, but anyway, again, if you're interested in this, I, I doubt in our lifetime another one will be discovered. Who knows? Um, this thing is 20 years old, and this is the first one ever discovered out in the wild, so... I'm going to guess that there's not many out there, but we shall see. That uh, Just a real another interesting score, an interesting piece of history, an interesting piece of Nintendo history that is now out there for, you know, for the world to see. And, and that's pretty sweet. And then our final piece of news is kind of a two-parter. Um, one, I'm kind of just over Kickstarter. Uh, this is a, a plug-and-play console from wisdom tree now it's not clear to me if this is the same wisdom tree that existed during the nes days or if it's just somebody that bought the wisdom tree ip it's i'm not clear on that um, the only reason anybody even cares about wisdom tree is because of the angry video game nerd um, doing a, a lot of videos on bible adventures and things like that so this device is going to be a plug and play console 
composite only, unfortunately. It's going to have seven NES games, uh, including Bible Adventures. And uh, all that's not very interesting. What I like about this Kickstarter, uh, what I like about this Kickstarter is that it's reasonable and it's not a pie in the sky, um, Coleco, Chameleon, Dreamcast 2, you know, nonsense. This is something that is going to exist. Um, they're only asking, they're only trying to raise $16,500, so just, yeah, $16,500, not insane, and they have everything in place to build 500 units. And then, of course, I'm sure it can't be that hard to find somebody in Japan that can do the NES on a chip. You know, all of that has existed for a long, long time. So, I... Zero interest in this, but I like the fact that it's a reasonable Kickstarter. Uh, something that, you know, $16,000 to raise isn't that insane. And the fact that, you know, they're going to make 500 of these is pretty cool. You know, they're not lying or misleading saying there's going to be millions of these in Walmarts and Toys R Us and all of that. It's just a normal down to earth Kickstarter. And that's what I would like to see more of. Wow, this took a lot longer than I thought. But let's go ahead and move on to the middle part of our show. And for the next five episodes, that is going to be an overview of the year of the episode we're on. So this is episode 95. Uh, I went through my collection and kind of picked out some of my favorites from 1995. Um, I've got five different systems here. Um, and I'm not sure if I've talked about these games a lot in the past or not. But first up is Road Rash on the Sega CD. Now... I really love the Road Rash series. I've mentioned it a million times. I own it on a million different systems. Uh, the Saturn, the Sega CD, the 3DO. Uh, of course, the older games on the Genesis. It's just a series I really dig. Uh, but what I really like about Road Rash on the Sega CD is it actually plays the licensed music while you're racing. Now, people argue with me about this all of the time on the YouTube saying, no, the 3DO version plays music. No, the Saturn version. No, they don't. The Saturn version plays some bad chiptunes that you can barely hear and the 3do version plays nothing neither of those versions nor the playstation version play the awesome licensed soundtrack that is contained on this disc uh, just some really awesome grunge music from the mid 90s and you add that awesome soundtrack onto some classic sega genesis road rash and you have a really awesome game one of my very favorites uh, 90, 1995 also brought us Ristar uh, on the Sega Genesis. This is built, I want to say, on the Sonic the Hedgehog engine, so it runs really, really well. In fact, it, uh, God, it just might be one of the best-looking Sega Genesis games there are. They pretty much pulled out all of the tricks. Every trick that's done in Castlevania Bloodlines is done in Ristar, and it just looks sensational. Uh, the chiptunes on here, again, are sonic quality. Just absolutely ace. I love it. And then the gameplay is really, really cool. So it's not fast like Sonic at all. It's actually very slow and methodical. More like a, more like a Mario game. A lot more platforming than, say, you know, Sonic 3 and Knuckles or Sonic 2. Um, but the, the main gimmick is that uh, Ristar uses, is it his hands or his ears? It escapes me at this point. Basically, you grab onto things and uh, pull yourself up levels. Uh, you grab onto enemies and then headbutt them. It's You grab onto floating things and move about the screen. And it's just something really unique and it doesn't really play like anything else uh, that I can think of off the top of my head. Um, I might have actually talked about that on the cheap game segment. I paid nothing for this game, but 
It's an absolute classic, and I love it. Uh, next, we'll move on to the Sega Saturn, and that, of course, is Sega Rally. Uh, again, the Sega, the the first, no, I'm getting that confused. The Sega Rally on the Sega Saturn is just a really fantastic port. Smooth 30 frames per second gameplay. Probably the best controlling racing game with a D-pad that I've ever played. Uh, the drifting feels spot on. A real short arcade-style racer, so you can play it over and over and over again, trying to get to that fourth track because it is arcade hard. And then, of course, it has a great rock soundtrack, and it has all that silly, um, you know, the the Sega jingles that were popular in virtual racing in Daytona USA. So, stunning game, one of the best racers ever made, and the Saturn port is one of the best versions of Sega Rally ever made. I wonder how many other systems that was ported to. I think it came out on Windows... I don't know if it came out on anything else. I guess the arcade version would be the best, and then there's the Saturn. Uh, next, Super Burnout on the Atari Jaguar. So 1995 marked that transition away where a lot of consoles kind of died and faded off, while the PlayStation and Saturn, and, and then a year later, the Nintendo 64 kind of caught on, and, and those uh, other systems sort of died off. So Super Burnout was one of the later releases on the Jaguar and also one of the best. This is a purely sprite-based motorcycle racer. Um, it's based on real tracks throughout the world, and the gameplay is just sensational it moves at 60 frames per second the music is is outstanding it sounds like cd quality um and it just plays really really well again one of my favorite racing games of all time and then uh, i ended with a pick for the super nintendo and that was bust a move now i first played bust a move on the neo geo i think i i don't know when i first played bust a move the first official bust a move game i played was on the neo geo cd and i loved it um, but it might have, gosh, it might have been on the Neo Geo Pocket. It's a little fuzzy at this point. I got a Neo Geo Pocket Color uh, when they were actually at Toys R Us, I want to say in the year 2000. So I was a big Dreamcast fan. I was a big Underdog fan. There was a couple games that you could link the Neo Geo Pocket Color up to the Dreamcast, probably King of Fighters. Um, so I got a Neo Geo Pocket Color, bought... Um, just a handful of games, unfortunately not the Metal Slug games, because I wasn't aware of Metal Slug at the time. Cool Borders, that's the one. Uh, pretty rare game now, but um, just a neat little handheld. Uh, you know, it didn't have the support that it needed to to succeed, but visually, um, you know, it was, a, it was a step up above the Game Boy Color, and then the battery life was eons better than the Game Boy Color. I don't even understand how they did it, but really cool handheld. But anyway, he... <laughs> Um, I guess I mentioned the Neo Geo Pocket version because the Super Nintendo also has 99 or 100 levels, which I want to say the Neo Geo Pocket Color version did as well. And I kind of wonder if they're the same levels um, versus the original Neo Geo game, which only had 30 or so. Um, just a really solid version of Bust a Move. About the only thing that I don't like about this version is the music doesn't get faster as you get closer to failing, which seems like a... I don't, there's, it's sample based music. There's no reason they couldn't just speed up the music. Um, but the gameplay is solid. Graphics are really nice for a Super Nintendo, of course. Um, but just a really solid puzzle game. Um, I'm a big fan of puzzle games and Bust a Move is up there, uh, top three for me, along with Dr. Mario and Tetris. So that, oh, I have honorable mentions, uh, three more systems. Uh, so that would bring us to eight different systems in the year 1995. Uh, D on the 3DO, awesome horror game, awesome FMV game is what I really should say. 
uh, Pack Panic on the CDI, a uh, really great version of Pack Panic, uh, one of the few great CDI games that exist, and then Virtual Fighter on the Sega 32X. Um, just a, a stunning version of Virtual Fighter and really shows what could have been possible on the 32X. Just outstanding. Um, so this brings us to the cheap segment the cheap game segment of to, of the show. So game collecting can be very expensive, but it doesn't have to be. So I want to highlight two games that I paid less than $5 for, uh, one that goes for more than 5 today, one that is still less than 5 today, and both worth your time. Uh, so this I got from Goodwill. The sticker's a bit uh, janky now, but I want to say that was $1.99. Um, and this is, there's no game in here, but it is a cool rental case and it does have a manual. This is F-Zero on the Super Nintendo. Now, um, most people absolutely adore this game. Uh, I'm not the biggest F-Zero fan in the world. To me, it feels like a tech demo um, for Mode 7. There's nothing to unlock. Uh, there's limited, you know, it's just, to me, it feels very limited. And some of the track design features really frustrate frustrate me specifically the wind i just find it really obnoxious and i can't wrap my head around it uh maybe someday i'll play this game proper uh sit down and just beat it from beginning to end and maybe i'll get a new appreciation for it kind of talk kind of talked about that um was it last week um beating games should you beat games before you review them and that's one thing that i forgot to mention is that when you do reach the end credits of a game maybe you will gain a different appreciation for the experience you just went on so something to keep in mind but f-zero still goes for like six or seven bucks not a very expensive game i'm sure they it's got to be one of the best sellers i'm sure there's over a million copies out there but uh it's creeping up there a little bit but this is again i found this at goodwill for dirt cheap with the manual so that's kind of cool and then here is another game 399 this is pitfall the mayan adventure on the super nintendo i first played this on the atari jaguar um didn't really care for it playing it on the super nintendo i've played through it a lot now especially for like the high score club over at atari age back in the day um forced me to really put a lot of time into it what uh, what frustrates me about pitfall the mind adventure is the level design is really really good uh the atmosphere is really really good i really like old video games that have a jungle setting something about seeing a lot of blue and a lot of green on the screen at the same time is really visually appealing um, even the combat isn't terrible, uh, but I feel like I just get hit by enemies a lot in this game. There's a lot of erratic movement, especially with birds and then bugs on the ground that makes the game a lot more frustrating to me than it really should be. But like I said, I seem to be in the minority. It's a solid game. Uh, it, it's worth your four or five dollars easy. I believe the Sega CD version has a CD quality soundtrack, but goes for a bit more. And then uh, the JAG version is probably the next best Super Nintendo and then Genesis. They released this on everything. I think there was even a PlayStation port for that matter. Maybe that's the one to get. I'm not sure. But if you're looking for some old school licensed platforming, I guess that's not licensed at all, is it? Pitfall was only ever a video game character. It reminds me of a Virgin game like Jungle Book or The Lion King or something along those lines. Um, but 
yeah, if you're into 2D platformers, for some reason haven't picked up Pitfall, you know, that's one you should you should try on your system of choice. So that's gonna that's gonna end this show. So if you are watching this and you would like to consume this like a normal podcast, I'll have a link to the RSS feed, the Google Play link, and the iTunes link in the description below. And then of course, if you are listening to this and you want to watch this or any of the other content that I produce every week, uh, check out the YouTube channel. YouTube dot com slash implant games and until next time guys have a great week